I'm back. I wasn't here last week because I had the pandemic blues, honestly. I was out of it. I was mentally tired and just the thought of curating and writing up a new summary of what happened last week was just a very, very challenging mental health exercise. So thanks so much for not getting mad at me. <laughs> Actually, quite the opposite. Thanks so much for your kind messages. And you're just asking how I am and if I need any support. That means the world to me. Now, you're here because you know that this is the place to go. Uh, if you are unsure about whether the news that you've been reading and listening to all this past week has been at all global. <laughs> it sounds very arrogant of me to say, but, but it's a promise that I make every week. People come here where people read my newsletter because that's exactly what I want to do. I want to talk about the rest of the world, as in not about Europe, not about North America, not about the Western world. And for today, I bring you news um, from India, from Hong Kong, Nigeria. I bring you news um, straight out of Afghanistan. Um, I don't know why I said it the way I said it. Because like in Kurdish, we say like Afghanistan. I guess that you say the same thing in Farsi. Anyway, I also have some really exciting science news. Um, basically, art, ancient art that we newly discovered in Colombia. Um, and also, you know, what's been going on in Puerto Rico and Singapore. I think last week was a roller coaster of things, of news, and yeah, let's let's dig deeper, no? All right, but before I start, um, I just wanted to let you know that this is a new microphone. I hope you realize, I hope you you notice the difference, you notice the sound quality. Um, if not, please let me know. Just write a short mail to sham at whathappenedlastweek.com. And you can also like just put it in the subject line and just say like, your sound is so amazing. Your sound is crazy good. If it's bad, you can do so as well. I don't know if you want to do, if you want to spread negative energy. No, no, I'm kidding. You should, you should definitely let me know if the sound um, is it all better or not? Because I really invested in this microphone. And if it's not good, I'm just going to return it. I still have some time. So sham at whathappenedlastweek.com. Send me a mail. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. All right. Let's start with what happened in India. And I start with that because it's truly amazing how... I saw this news on my social media page, but I didn't see it anywhere in mainstream media. I did find, let's say, two articles about this in, on, on the New York Times, somewhere hidden in the New York Times and somewhere like on BBC. But honestly, the, 
the sources that I use today for this um, for this bit on India is completely out of the English speaking, um, yeah, uh, well, mediums uh, from India. So what happened there is on November 26, 250 million workers and farmers went on the biggest national strike in India. It's also, at the same time, it's the biggest strike worldwide, too. What they did, um, together with their allies among student, women's, and civil society groups, they went out on the street, they stopped going to work that day, and they said, like, listen, we need better workers' rights. We need to scrap those laws that are kind of ruining our livelihood, and we need you, the Indian government, to listen to us. That was not, that was November 26, but it hasn't really stopped since, as thousands are still protesting, especially in the capital Delhi, um, blocking entire roads and creating yeah creating a lot of chaos in the capital. The latest news is that. Now, last weekend on Saturday, farm leaders and the Indian government had a talk and nothing really came out of it. So, um, yeah, th this whole thing is a status update so to be continued. I think there's, uh, there's so, so much more to come from the story. This matters because 351 million people in India are unemployed right now. And the economy isn't doing all too well either, thanks to COVID-19, right? As so, so many countries right now. And with so many people from different industries deciding not to go to work, honestly, November 26 came close to a near total shutdown of the entire country. And it will, it will come close again if this issue isn't isn't dealt with properly they the protesters they say we can sit here we can sit in delhi we can do nothing and just sit here for at least six months they're not kidding they even set up solar panels so that everyone can charge their mobile phones that's how serious they are and so about the laws they're saying the government of prime minister narendra modi is not fair to us workers and farmers. It has created three laws that mean us harm. An example, there is the Essential Commodities Amendment Act. That's a law and it says that food like um, edible oil, such as, you know, olive oil or just edible oil, onion and potato, they're non-essential food now. That means that the government will no longer regulate how many, for example, potatoes are being produced, sold, and distributed. And this then means that private companies can now come, buy all of the potatoes they can, and then sell them later at a higher price. And protesters say, well, this is going to ruin us. We have to stop this. They want many different things but the main message is please scrap those laws the whole drama has also made it to the streets of london in uh, the united kingdom and thousands of people protested there actually a couple of days ago and demanded that farmers in india be respected 
As you can see, this is a really, really huge story and I'm surprised. Actually, I'm curious. Did you hear about this in the news somewhere? And if yes, where did you hear about it? Uh, you can let me know. Send Just send me an email to shamanatwhathappenedlastweek.com. I would love to know if your media of choice covered this story. Let's move on to Nigeria. And in Nigeria, it's becoming more and more obvious that we have a very big problem with Islamic terrorism uh, in the country. It's actually a much bigger problem than in France or in Austria. Why? Islamic terrorists, and this is a trigger, more, a trigger warning because it's a trigger warning about, well, death, honestly. Islamic terrorists killed at least 110 people on the same day in a few different villages in Nigeria last week. This matters because Islamic terrorism here in the northeastern part of Nigeria, in the Borno state, it's killed more than 30,000 people and forced some 2 million others, some sources even say 3 million people, have had to flee their homes and have had to go to neighboring countries like Chad or Cameroon or Niger in the last 10 years. So it's a really huge problem in Nigeria. The Islamic terrorists, well, it's, um, you remember, it's Boko Haram. Most people know this extremely dangerous Islamic terrorist group from when they first made global headlines in 2014. That's when they kidnapped 276 girls from Chibuk in 2014. And it was this huge thing. I don't know if you remember, but like former United States First Lady Michelle Obama, she... I don't know if you saw this, if you if you can remember this picture, but she held up the sign where it said, you know, hashtag bring back our girls. And um, it was a, it was the first time when the global community first found out about this group. Boko Haram is a Hausa term. That's what I've learned. It's kind of means or it's loosely translates to Western education is forbidden. This terrorist group is, in short, super anti-Western world and a huge simp for Sharia law. So who are the victims, right? These 110 people, who were they? They were mostly farmers. They were farmers um, in the Borna state. And a lot of people are worried right now. They're saying, well, food security is on the line because the farmers are too afraid to go back to their work, to go back on the fields. And they just feel like it's, uh, you know, they're risking their lives. And I mean, it's understandable, right? Boko Haram, or that's what people are assuming right now, they did this because, um, well, they it's payback. It's payback for the time when the people in one of the villages had tried to fight back on their own and this is the message that they wanted to yeah that they wanted to send to them if you're wondering um, what the nigerian government is doing to fight islamic terrorism well if you ask most politicians in the country they're saying not enough you need to send more soldiers to protect these people in the region what are you waiting for so 
that's the current discussion right now in Nigeria. And speaking of what the hell do we do to fight Islamic terrorism, France and Austria last week were like, well, we have a plan. And both announced what they planned to do in order to fight Islamic terrorism in Europe or in their respective countries. In France, for example, the plan is to take a closer look at around 76 mosques and see if they have anything to do with Islamic terrorist organizations or not. They want to, in, in Austria, they want to, or and haven't yet, but they want to really up their anti-Islamism game or anti-political Islam game, rather. Think more police and mosques. Um, think, you know, taking away the citizenship of people who they think are radicalized in quotation marks. <sighs> I hope you heard that in my voice, like, and quote, radicalized, or um, ban, quote-unquote, Islamist organizations. And I'm saying, quote-unquote, around radicalized and Islamist because, well, there is no clear definition of what these words mean to the Austrian government. There's no clear definition of that yet. It's a very vague plan and it's not set in stone yet. And then we have the very sad news um, coming out of Hong Kong. We are, or it looks like we are losing the fight for democracy in Hong Kong. For now, for now. Four famous democracy activists in in Hong Kong were arrested because they are a quote-unquote danger to national security, a.k.a. they tried very hard to convince people that democracy is a better political system for the island. The activists are Agnes Chow, Even Lam, Joshua Wong. So they're, these three are around the same age as Justin Bieber and they will now go to jail for advocating for democracy. They will go to jail for um, 7 to 13 months. And the fourth democracy activist that is in jail right now is Jimmy Lay. He's a bit older. He's 71 years old and is the founder of a very popular independent critical newspaper in Hong Kong. He will um, be or stay in jail for five months and then there will be another trial where we'll see if he gets out or not. This matters because, well, the political autonomy of Hong Kong is at stake here. Many democracy activists in Hong Kong are now asking themselves, well, should I stay to keep fighting for it or should I go and save my own ass? And also this matters because Hong Kong is a global financial center. It matters what happens there politically because China is playing a bigger and bigger role worldwide. And there was a blog article that I read the other the other day, where I'll, which I also link in the show notes. Um, in the words of an anonymous Hong Kong resident, in the words of this blog article... Hong Kong is a test of just how authoritative China can be, of just how much authority China wants to use and have and aim for. So this is why this news matters. 
let's go to the other end of the world. Let's go to Colombia, um, where we found art that is 12,500 years old in the Amazon. Archaeologists um, found a few thousand, a few thousand rock paintings in the Amazon rainforest in Colombia, and they look magnificent. Um, this matters, the story matters because, well, this is one of the biggest rock collections uh, or collections of rock art on the South American continent. And also science is like, yay, now we're a bit closer to answering some of our age old questions. How was human life like in the Amazon? We don't know that yet. And these paintings, they show everyday life in the ice age. Um, it's kind of like finding early humans' collective diaries. And some of these rock paintings, they're so high up the rocks that people are now thinking, like, I think they made, they even built ladders to paint. I mean, how cute is that? <laughs> finding this rock art is extremely, extremely important for the science community because they're saying... Well, to this day, we've been working to find out when humans first moved to the Amazon region and when and what that move really did to the rainforest, how the humans had, yeah, had affected the rainforest. Uh, so th this is a really huge milestone. And dare I say, this is a huge milestone for the science community, the local communities in the Amazon region, they already knew about this rock art, obviously, and they actually helped them find and helped them kind of document um, what was there. So, yeah, huge milestone for the scientists. Yay! <laughs> there are other news in science uh, from last week that I wanted to share with you. Um, the first one coming out of Singapore. Um, Singapore just said okay to selling meat that was made in laboratories. This matters because this could actually open the door to a future when all the meat we eat does not come from an animal that had to die for us. And I'm curious, would you ever try lab-grown meat? Personally, I've just watched... Um, the What the Health documentary on Netflix. And I guess like you already know what my answer is. I basically, I think now, I think it's a really great idea to go vegan. And I'm, I'm in awe of everyone who's already gone vegan for like years and decades. And I'm slowly but surely kind of warming up to this idea. So let's see. Uh, the other science news came out of Puerto Rico. Uh, there we find a completely never seen before species of a blob, of a gelatinous blob in the deep dark sea. And the cool thing is, we were only able to see this species because we had a high definition camera with us while diving. So yay technology and also yay science. And hello blob. Let's travel to Lithuania. In Lithuania, we have a new prime minister and her name is Ingrida Simonetta. 
The first thing that she did as prime minister in of Lithuania is to make half of the country's cabinet women for the first time ever. And this matters because, well, first, it's a huge surprise because Lithuanian society is still very masculine. And second, she is the second female prime minister of the country. Also, third, the country is doing pretty bad on the European Union Gender Equality Index. It's like 22nd out of 28 countries. So it's pretty, pretty bad. Um, Simonetta is a conservative lady. She's 46 years old and she loves rock music. Yes, that's what I also found about found out about her. She's also not a new name in the politics game in the country. She's been a finance minister already and she's also um, gone for the position of president. Lithuania, and a lot of people say, oh my god, so... You know, they're kind of like Finland now. Yes and no, in a way. So a lot of people say that because, you know, Finland is ruled by five female political party leaders. Yes. But the fact that the government or the next government of Lithuania will now be led by three women does not have that much to do with feminism or with let's say a trend or a cultural shift in the country Uh, experts say that's not the case the country has a very long way to go unlike in scandinavia it's kind of become standard or the default situation where you know women can go that high because in the society it's already been accepted and it's already something that people kind of Yeah, got used to, I guess. Anyway, so Simonetta will now be dealing with COVID-19 and, of course, its effect on the economy. As every country, almost every other country on the planet, COVID-19 was and is a killer of all sorts, not just human lives. Moving on to my last news for today, which is... What's been going on in Afghanistan? We are slowly but surely making tiny steps towards a a slightly safer future for children in Afghanistan. There was a newer report by the charity organization Save the Children that came out last week and it found out that at least 26,000 children were killed or seriously hurt in Afghanistan from 2005 to 2019. It's one of the world's most dangerous countries for children, said the report. And this matters because Afghanistan has been finding it so difficult to get out of violence, um, but it's trying really, really hard. The country is so dangerous for children because of all the war and all the violence that's been going on. And it doesn't really seem to end. Just last year, 874 children, and most of them very young boys, were killed. By whom? It's not. It's unclear. It could be the Taliban. It could be the gov- Afghan government. It could be ISIS, etc. Just two weeks ago, there was a bombing on the streets of one of the safest places in the country, in the city of Bamiyan, in the Bamiyan province. And it killed 17 people and wounded another 50 right away. 
Nobody knows who did it, but ex- experts say, well, since a lot of Shi- uh, Shiite Muslims live in Bamiyan province, so perhaps that was ISIS and not the Taliban? So to be fair, that could be true, because ISIS also attacked a hospital, yes, a hospital, in a Shiite uh, neighborhood in Kabul earlier this year uh, that killed 24 mothers and babies. So yeah, that could be true. There is, um, about the Taliban, there has been some peace talks between the Taliban and the Afghan government. They've been talking about peace since September, talking about it seriously since September, actually since February But yes, since September, it's become a little bit more serious. But the talks are taking very, very long. And they're taking so long because, well, I mean, imagine. Imagine sitting in front of someone who's made life so very challenging for you in general. How, How difficult that must be. There's a lot of mistrust and a lot of anger towards one another. And both the Taliban and the Afghan government... Um, have two very different opinions about where Afghanistan um, as a country should be going. Like, should it be a republic or should it be a religious state? There is some progress. Last week, both agreed to um, a very basic or very minor detail, actually, of the peace talks. But they agreed to how the peace talks should take place. So that's a rare piece of good news from the talks, and I'll take it. So that's it. I hope the ending was not too depressing. I mean, I did end on a higher note. But as always, I always also have a funny note for you. Uh, funny news that I find throughout the week and this one's coming um, straight out of South Africa where the winning numbers in a lottery were 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 and 10. And it's uh, those numbers are looking so mysterious that now the lottery commission in South Africa is looking into this, saying, what the hell? How did this happen? So um, congratulations to whoever won that lottery. That's a very great story to tell apart from all the money you won. But um, yeah, other than that, congratulations. And that's it from me. That's uh, what happened last week. I'm Sham, your very own news curator. And if you love this podcast, if you love the newsletter, if you're a subscriber of the newsletter as well, you can support me on patreon.com slash WHLW or, or tell all of your friends and family about, about this. Talk to you next week. Bye.